Hello, everyone. Welcome to a bonus episode of Crime Family. So we're going to do just a little bit of an update. So since we're just about at the end of this season, um, we're going to like catch you up on any updates that have happened in the cases that we've covered so far. And we do have um, quite a few that have some updates. So uh, the first one is the very first episode that we did was the Lori Vallow and Chad Daybell case. As you can know, it's as you know from that episode, it's still ongoing and it's everything's kind of unfolding in real time. So we do have an update on that. So Steph, what's the update? Back when we did the recording, there were no murder charges in the case, um, which was shocking to all of us and confusing as to why there wasn't murder charges. But I'm here to tell you today that that has changed. As of May 24th, Lori Vallow was indicted by a grand jury with conspiracy and first degree murder in the deaths of her two children, seven-year-old Joshua J.J. Vallow and 16-year-old Tally Ryan. Um, she was also charged with grand theft for allegedly continued to draw social security benefits for her children after their deaths. She faced a judge on June 9th, and at this time, the judge had ordered Lori to be committed to a mental health facility. Back in May, when the charges first came out, Lori was declared unfit to stand a trial. And this was separate from the charges that she was facing. These were for concealment charges. But as the judge went on to say that she was unfit for trial for the murder of her children. So she has to be committed to a mental health facility. She will be in the custody of the Idaho Department of Health and Wellness. And once she goes to the facility, she will be there for approximately 90 days. And within those 90 days, she will be seen by a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Also, um, her husband, Chad Daybell, and the stepfather of the two children, was also charged in a connection of the murders of Tylee and JJ. He was also charged with the murder of his former wife, Tammy Daybell, who died under suspicious circumstances in 2019. And he was also charged with conspiracy to commit murder as well and fraud. He pleaded not guilty on June 9th to the murder charges, and he will be back in court for his arraignment on June 23rd. There, I just want to say that there was a the police had came out with a body cam video that was released about two months ago. The video was about when um, Alex Cox died, which was Lori's brother. This video just showed the police arriving at the house of Alex Cox and them having to do CPR. And Alex was still alive when the police arrived. Um, we can link the video. It's really hard to see the video and it's kind of hard to hear, but it's just basically them going in, uh, trying to revive Alex. And then you can hear a couple of police officers. And I think when I was listening to it, I could hear maybe his wife talking, or it also sounded like Lori talking. It was kind of, that's what I got out of the video. But like I said, it was hard to hear, but that's the first time any information has come out or anything about Alex Cox's death. So I thought that video was pretty interesting. Um, that's all I have to say on those updates. So do you guys have any thoughts on the updates? Yeah, glad there's charges. And remember, we were pretty frustrated when we released that episode. Like, we were confused why there's no murder charges. Like, it's clear that um, there should at least be charges. Um, and there wasn't. But, you know, I think we all kind of thought that it were probably to come. And they did come. And, I mean, 
if Lori's not fit to stand trial, then she probably won't see, you know, she won't get a trial or she won't see prison at all. But, you know, the jury's out anyway for what I think people think. Anyway, I don't think there's really much of a defense that they could have, but that's just my opinion. But yeah, happy there's charges. Yeah, I feel the same. I'm definitely glad that there's charges. I'm not surprised that Lori has been deemed not fit to stand trial. She did seem kind of like she was losing it. So that doesn't surprise me at all. So I guess it's, you know, it's better than nothing. If she ever gets out of that, um, those psychiatric hospitals, she probably will stand trial later. Like, is that how it works? Yeah, like, or I got, the, the, what I got from the article, it said, like, she's going to be under doing constant, constant assessments during those during those 90 days after the 90 days so like maybe after the assessment after treatment like maybe there will be she will get a trial or she will do a trial that's what i got from it because it said that she will be under constant assessments as if like it's an ongoing thing so like i don't think it's a permanent like we'll never get a trial i think it's at this time but but they could deem her like she was under this whole like psychosis the whole time while she was like helping or while she was murdering the kids so she could kind of escape jail but be in the yeah. psychiatric hospital for a lot longer. So I wonder how yeah. they'll determine that. That's true. Yeah, I'm glad, finally glad they came up with some charges because like we said at the beginning, like why they weren't charged with murder at the beginning. I'm not sure why, but glad something is finally happening and those kids and Tammy can get some justice and the family can get justice as well. Yeah, and um, I know our, our finale is coming up and like we're going to be away for a couple of months, but... If you follow us on Instagram or all the social medias, you as the updates come, we will post on our Instagram. So that's going to be the best way to get updates during the break. I mean, we'll probably do another update episode like in the future when there's more to talk about. But as the updates come out over the summer, we'll be updating you there. So, yeah. Um, so the next uh, case that we have an update for is the Adnan Syed case, which was a two-parter case that we did early in the season. Um, as you know, uh, we thought he was wrongly convicted and all of that stuff. So definitely go ahead and listen to that episode if you haven't already. But if you have listened to it, so then we have some exciting news in that case. And it is in the form of a, a new act that had been passed. So Maryland actually passed the Juvenile Restoration Act. And what that means is it allows uh, people who were convicted of crimes that happened when they were minors and they were given, you know, life sentences without parole. This allows them, this new act would allow them to possibly be released from prison after they've served 20 years. Uh, they would have to, of course, go through the process and do like a court hearing um, and prove that they've been rehabilitated. And if they can prove that sufficiently and they've served over 20 years, they can get released. Um, so this is huge news for Adnan, considering he was the crime that they think he committed happened when he was 17. So that means that he was a minor when it happened. And as you know, he's given life without parole. So yeah, very big possibility that he could be released um, somewhat soon. So the news that the act had passed just happened just around the end of March. So right around the time they were actually releasing the episodes of this podcast but there was actually since then in april governor lawrence j hogan had actually had plans to veto the act he didn't agree with it he thought that that would allow people who have committed heinous crimes and very violent crimes like murder and all of that stuff to possibly get out of jail um with the possibility of getting out of jail when he doesn't think that should be allowed so he tried to veto it and then a little bit after that in later in april they've actually were able to pass it and 
with enough support so that it overrided the veto that he wanted. So it's actually happened. It's, it is a thing now. So it's very exciting. And actually, Rabia has since um, posted on Twitter. She, this is from May 3rd. That was after all of the veto stuff had happened. She did tweet out that, quote, I just got amazing news in Adnan's case. And no, I can't share it yet. But I've been crying for 20 minutes now. And if I wasn't completely out of shape, I'd do cartwheels. <laughs> Um, so we will hashtag free Adnan is the tweet. So there's still stuff to, coming up. And recently, actually last month in May, Adnan did celebrate his 40th birthday in prison. So you never know. He's very likely that he could get out. What do you guys think of that? Do you have any thoughts? Or I really hope he does. It's very exciting news. And can't believe he spent all this time in jail. It's sad, but bittersweet at the same time yeah it's definitely exciting but it'll just be like another crushing event if it never it doesn't happen like all your hopes built up again and then it doesn't happen so yeah here's to hoping yeah and i want to know what that update is that she has so that'll be forthcoming obviously and i don't know like the whole process is probably still going to take a while whether he's granted a new trial or if he can just you know get released under this new act which yet to be seen but there's definitely hope for him and yeah very very exciting news for that um so katie the next uh update is for the cooper harris case right so this is about the cooper harris case which was episode eight and like i had mentioned in the cooper harris case ross harris who was cooper's father was convicted of first degree murder for the murder of cooper harris in 2016 In December of 2020, a hearing took place as Ross was seeking a new trial. One of Ross's original lawyers, Carlos Rodriguez, said that he wanted the chance at a new trial because he wanted to expose how biased the prosecution was against Ross and how they really misinterpreted some of the evidence against him. So very recently, just May 21st of 2021, it was announced that a new trial would not be granted as the judge had denied that motion. However, this is not the end of the defense's attempts to turn over this guilty verdict. Apparently, they are still planning to take this to the Georgia Supreme Court next. So that's the next step in this. Um, They're still fighting, and Ross still maintains that Cooper's death was an accident. That's all I have for that. All right. Um, um, So we do have an update on the uh, Barry and Honey Sherman case. It's not too much of an update, but it is some interesting uh, information. So this actually the the Supreme Court of Canada is actually involved in this. So um, there has been a little bit of a battle um, between the Supreme Court or between authorities and the Sherman, the rest of the Sherman family over the estate files and all of like their financial dealings and all of the record and history about that. But the Supreme Court of Canada has actually ruled that um, all of the files related to murder victims, Barry and Honey Sherman will be unsealed and open to public access. So that means that people are going to be able to see like the paper trail for all of these like financial dealings and obviously like the rest of the family was trying to keep these you know private because it probably would i don't know just speculating it might have something where they're going to end up owing a lot of people a lot of money if they like did some illegal dealings or something so once it's public knowledge it's going to be much easier for people to pursue charges and stuff against the rest of the family for stuff like that i don't know if they can i don't really know the legality like if you can charge the family members for something that like their father did even though because he's obviously dead and he can't do that but maybe it's like whoever owns the estate or whatever so that's 
that. But yeah, the Supreme Court has actually ruled that. So we're going to get a bunch of information coming in about all of this stuff. And it will probably lead or might lead to like a finding out who actually did the murders. If like it is tied to something financial or if it is tied to something like in the pharmaceutical industry, like a bad business dealing or something like that, like it might be easier for that sort of stuff to come out if it's public knowledge. So that's kind of exciting. It'll be interesting to see if they can actually like sue the estate and get something out of that since he's gone. I wonder what they actually can do. So yeah, I'm definitely interested to follow up on this. Are these documents that like people like us can see or is it like people within the family or anybody else that had business deals with him? It's public access. So it's going to be public information. That's That's according to the CBC um, article that I read about it. So and it was a Supreme Court ruling, so, like, they're, like, the highest authority, like, in Canada, so there's not really any, like, overruling that. Like, they kind of have the final say, so it is definitely going to happen. So, yeah. And there has been some information released uh, by CTV News, um, and just a little bit of information regarding some of the stuff, um, or some of their estate files that have been released since the Supreme Court made this ruling, um, and the will of Barry did say that the estate was to be broken up evenly among his four children um, in the event of Honey's death. So that is what would happen. Um, the four children would equally get the would equally get their a share of the estates. However, the article also says, "quote The newly unsealed estate papers list assets of more than 124 million, though that number would not include the bulk of the Sherman fortune that was tied up in various holding companies." So, you know, their their net worth has been in the has been reported to be in the billions. So, of course, 124 million just scratches the surface of that. Um, but something interesting that did come out was that his will was last updated in 2017, um, because the CD. TV news article says that he made the will initially in May of 2005, but it was amended for the final time in March of 2017, which was right before his, which was, you know, about was months before his death. I mean, he did change the trustees that were listed. And in the amendment, he did make it so that there was only going to be four people who would be trustees um, to the state or to the will. Um, and that would be Jonathan Sherman. So his son, he also had a son-in-law, Bradley his business partner Jack Kay and then there was um, executive Alex Glassenberg and these were the four trustees that were listed Um, there was initially eight that were named um, but the amendment went in and made these four people the the trustees so he also also noted in the CTV News article is that Sherman did not request that any of this money from the estate be donated directly to charity. He just said that it would be given to his four children um, upon in the event of Honey's death. So obviously Honey died at the same time he did. So this money would have gone to them and they were going to be, they were to be given this money in some, some installments. Um, So 40% um, of each child's share was going to be withheld until they were to turn 35. And then they would get, you know, some of it when they turned 24, some of it when they turned 30 and then the rest of it when they turned 35. Um, So that's just a little bit of information there. So it's interesting that he did change his trust 
trustees. I'm not really sure the reasoning for that. And of course, we may know, you know, a little bit later as more information comes out about this. Um, but yeah, initially, that is what has come out. So his four children were given, you know, the estate was equally divided among them. So that's kind of the first bit of information that's come out about the will and the estate of the Shermans since the Supreme Court of Canada made that ruling still unsolved we don't know who did it but um just some information so there was an article that recently came out by the toronto star and it was just talking about kind of the one lone police officer that had been assigned to this case now like there's only one officer currently working on the case like following up on the leads doing the interviews with you know witnesses stuff like that um i think obviously maybe their supervisor is also helping them but yes it's very limited resources right now for the for the case um which is unfortunate but he also uh, kevin donovan who is like the chief reporter and investigator for this case um or the reporter for the toronto star he did an interview recently where he was just talking about how there were two international jurisdictions that had been looked into by police so there is like two countries of interest where they might have ties to some people that were involved in the murders and they the police haven't released which two countries it is but they are apparently both those two countries are on a list there's a list of 35 countries in the world that have like this certain legal agreement or legal treaty with canada and those two countries that they've looked into are part of that list so i don't really know what that means legally but we can narrow it down to one of or two of those 35 countries if you look at that list but yeah so we still don't know we uh, he did mention a little bit as well that the I don't think this is super new news, but he did kind of clarify that the members, some of the other members of the Sherman family do have constant security and bodyguards as they felt unsafe. And possibly if there was like another hit on one of them, he said that Jonathan Sherman has like full-time security all the time um, because he doesn't feel safe um, after the murders. And yeah, some of the other family members did at one time um, or people who knew the Shermans who were high up uh, in Apotex and stuff did as well have security. So some of them don't know no longer do but yeah so that's kind of uh he mentions in the interview as well that they did um there were some like two people that had been interviewed early on in the investigation that like recently came out and emailed some additional information to toronto police um and also sent some hard copies of some information to the toronto police as well with leads that they're following up on so there is still some stuff happening but not a super ton to report but the interview with kevin is done by it's on the website the cjn.ca um the cjn daily is the resource and i'll put the link in the show notes for that because it is just an interesting interview with him um i was gonna say it's probably gonna take a lot longer now that there's only one person on the case now so this one guy has to like look into all these leads and follow up on them and stuff like that so i feel like it's gonna it's still gonna be quite a bit of time before we find out anything or if anything ever gets found out yeah so what could it could have happened quicker if they had more people on it but yeah because there's only the one person it's like gonna go at a super slow rate at this point so that's that and i think the last one that we have an update for is the the Yasser Saeed case um we just did that one a couple weeks ago um the murders of Sarah and I mean, Saeed. And if you need a reminder, that was a case where it was like considered an honor killing, um, allegedly, where he killed his two daughters in 2008. 
he was captured in 2020, and his son Islam, so the brother of Sarah and Amina, and also uh, Yasser's brother, Yassin, was also arrested and charged. And on June 4th, 2021, Yassin Said was sentenced to 12 years for harboring a fugitive. So he will be in federal prison for 12 years. And as we mentioned in the episode, Islam had himself had been charged for or had been sentenced to 10 years in federal prison for harboring a fugitive. So Yassin got a little bit more time, but we're still awaiting like the full um, sentencing and stuff for Yasser himself, which he could, he could be eligible for the death penalty because it is in Texas. They still have the death penalty. So that's bad. So at least there is, you know, I don't know if 12 years is enough or 10 years for Islam is enough, but at least it's something. Yasser, I'm sure will probably get way more than that. I would assume. Yeah, so those are the updates we have. So thank you for listening. So we're just releasing this one on the Monday, right before the finale. So our finale two-part episode is coming up on Wednesday, June 23rd. It's a two-parter. It's very, obviously, the infamous John Bunny Ramsey case. So it's a very well-known case, still unsolved. So we're going to be going into all the discussion about that one. We're going to be talking about theories that you guys have, if you've submitted your theories and opinions. And we're going to be obviously talking about our own thoughts and opinions. And we do have a special guest. My friend Jennifer will be joining us. So it'll be an extra voice on the podcast to discuss her thoughts and opinions and theories and all that good stuff. So yes, we will see you on Wednesday. We hope you tune in for the finale. Thanks for listening and um, we'll see you Wednesday. Bye. Bye.